Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, I thank you that you are a God who comes and rescues us when we need help. Lord, more than that, when we have no hope apart from your rescue. Lord, we confess the good news of the gospel, that you are the king who must come. You are the king whom uh, Nathan talked about, David longed for. You are the king whom the psalmist praised. God, you are the king who fulfilled all of the purposes that we need, God. You rescued us. Lord, at the same time, you also bring us in to your kingship. You bring us all as very, very minor characters in the story of redemption that continues to our day. Lord, you help us to participate by your spirit in the work of redemption in this world. And so would you help us to hear and to see and to follow good examples as they follow after you, our Lord and our King? We trust you, Jesus, to do this. We need your spirit to empower us to believe and to and to obey this morning. Lord, would you produce in us the obedience of faith that has long been hoped for, this mystery revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. This we ask and many other things we ask that you will, you will give to us in this, in this moment as we come to your scriptures. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The last two Sundays, the last two Sundays, we have reflected on the ministry of John the Baptist. On John, the son of Elizabeth and Zechariah, from Mark's Gospel, the first Sunday, or the second Sunday of Advent, and then from John's Gospel, last Sunday, Jesus' cousin John wasn't the point. That's what we looked at in different ways. He wasn't the point. He came to point to the point. That is the motion, that is the movement of John's ministry. And this morning, the fourth Sunday of Advent, yes, we're still in Advent for a few more hours. This is Annunciation Sunday, that's what it always is on the fourth Sunday of Advent. We're going to consider three more important characters, three more important characters that prepare the way for the Lord, and specifically three important characters at the announcement, the announcement, and this evening we'll celebrate the birth of the main character. So we're going to stay with minor characters this morning, and tonight at our Christmas Eve vigil, we will look to the main character, Jesus Christ. And so here's the first character that we're going to look at this, this morning, the angel Gabriel. The angel Gabriel, look with me at verse 26 of Luke chapter 1. In the sixth month, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. So the first main character in our story, he is a messenger. That's what angel means. He's an announcer. The angel, and specifically Luke tells us, Gabriel. Our gospel reading begins with Gabriel's arrival and it ends with his departure. Verse 26, he arrives, and then in verse 38, he leaves. So Gabriel bookends our, our reading this morning. Gabriel shows up several times at the beginning of Luke's gospel, just before our reading, and he is also announcing in Luke chapter 1. The first time Gabriel comes, 
he brings an announcement to an old priest. And this is going to be important. We're going to see this importance later. But to an old priest who is burning incense in the temple, Luke tells us in chapter 1. In verse 19 of chapter 1, I, and this is Gabriel speaking, stand in God's presence. So he is a messenger sent from God's presence in heaven, and he, God, has sent me to announce the gospel. He's the first announcer of the gospel in Luke's gospel. The old priest's name was Zechariah, husband of Elizabeth, and again, this is John the Baptist's parents. So at the beginning of Luke, as well as Mark, as well as John, here is John the Baptist again. And Luke tells us that she too was old. So Elizabeth and Zechariah were old, and he adds that she was barren, which is repeated again in Mary's annunciation in our reading this morning. In the temple, the angel Gabriel tells Zechariah that he and his wife will conceive a son in their old age. And you should hear, you should hear the story of God's people right here at the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ in Zechariah and Elizabeth in this first announcement. Their son, John, will be great like Elijah. He will be great like the prophet Elijah. That is what Gabriel tells them. This first scene with the angel Gabriel, it takes place, and I've said this and I'm going to say it again, in the temple. In the temple, and it's intentional. The one who stands in the presence of God in heaven comes down to announce good news to a man who ministers in the place of the presence of God. So the one who is Standing in God's presence in heaven comes down to the place of the presence of God, namely the temple, to announce something. So the angel Gabriel, this is our first character. Our second character this morning, Joseph. Joseph, who is David's son. Look with me at verse 27, the first part of 27. Gabriel was sent to who? To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The house of David. Gabriel was sent to announce a second message, and this time, not to a man. Not to a man, but to a young Jewish girl. To a virgin, the text says. And we're going to consider her last. We're going to consider her first because she's the most important character right here in this part of the story. But the second named character. So in verses 26 through 38, the second named character in our story is Joseph. Joseph. Joseph was, the text says, committed. He was committed according to, law, to the law to marry this virgin, to marry a virgin. And, and this is the most important detail and really the only detail we get about Joseph in this narrative. Joseph was of the house of David. This is all pretty common to us, but I just want to pay attention to the details of these characters. So the Gentile physician, Luke, the gospel writer, Luke, who is the only Gentile author in the New Testament, he's got a lot of themes, he's got a lot of theological emphases that are unique to his gospel. 
There are a lot of different things coming together in Luke's mind and imagination. A lot of different testimonies that he's bringing together here at the beginning of the gospel. Luke doesn't mention, and this is interesting, I didn't notice that till this week. Luke doesn't mention the title given to Joseph's son very often. And he doesn't mention it until chapter 2. Until chapter 2. And he says also in chapter 3, in the genealogy, he is supposed to be the son of Joseph. Okay, so that's an interesting detail. Everyone thought, oh, this is his father. No, he's the adoptive father, but he is adopted into his family, into his household. What is this title? What is this title that Luke uses very sparingly? Christ. Christ. That's not Jesus' last name, just uh, many of you know that, but his name is not Jesus' last name, Christ. Christ is a title. It means Messiah. We heard it in the psalm this morning. It was translated as anointed or the anointed one, the title given to the long-awaited king from the house of Jacob in David's line. So that is what is being signaled here in this text, but we don't get the title yet until later in chapter 2. Later in chapter 2, another man, Simeon, waits at the temple for the Christ, for the Christ explicitly. In chapter 3, the first person publicly suspected of being the Christ in Luke's gospel isn't Jesus, it's John the Baptist. So here's, here's another mention of this title of Christ. And only two more characters, and this is so fascinating to me, in Luke's gospel and the other gospel writers use Jesus Christ, who is the Christ, all over the place. But there's only two more characters in Luke's gospel who identify Jesus as the Christ. One of them, or I guess you could say many of them, demons, demons in Luke chapter 4, they know that he is the Christ, and Peter in Luke chapter 9 in his famous confession. So that's the only two times that this title is used other than here at the beginning with Simeon and by reference in our verses. The title Christ isn't really mentioned in this gospel until, until climactically at the end of the gospel. And we're going to make this connection following St. Jerome later in the sermon. But until... Jesus the King ascends to his throne in the last three chapters of Luke's gospel, and then King, Christ, anointed one, Messiah, is everywhere, is everywhere. It's not there, and then it's there at the end, and it's being introduced with Joseph. Joseph, the adopted father of Jesus. And so the second named character in our story, who is, the only two details we get, he's betrothed to a virgin. Joseph seems to be mentioned only to give his adopted son, Jesus, this title. To give him the title, Christ. Joseph gives an inheritance according to the law to his son. For he is from the house of David. Look at the second half of verse 33. And the Lord God will give to him, the son of Joseph, the throne of his father David. That's what's being signaled here. The throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So we saw the angel Gabriel, 
And now we've seen Joseph, David's son. And the third character, the most important character here in this text, we see the Virgin Mary. The Virgin Mary. Look with me at verse 27 again. Gabriel was sent to a virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name, and the virgin's name was Mary. The virgin is the main character in this part of the story. All the action is around her. It centers around her. The virgin's name was Mary, the text says. And later, Mary asked the angel in this conversation, she asked Gabriel, how can I conceive? How can I conceive and bear a son in my womb? I've never known a man since I am a virgin. I am a virgin. Three times Mary's virginity is mentioned in this text. She is set apart. She is holy. She is pure. Verse 38 of chapter 1, Mary is also the servant of the Lord. The servant of the Lord who serves according to the word of the Lord. If you go back to chapter 1, remember from chapter 1, we were introduced to Mary's brother-in-law, the priest, Zechariah, and the text says that he serves the Lord. He serves the Lord according to the word of the Lord in the temple. This is Zechariah's role in, in this place of the presence of God. The place of the presence of God in the temple. And later in chapter 2, another old man, another old man, Simeon, serves where? He serves in the temple. In the temple, in the presence of the Lord, and Mary came, she came to the temple to, to bring, to make purification, it says for their purification, to Simeon, and he blessed her son. Okay, so we see Mary, we see servants on either side who are in the temple, and she is one who is called the servant of the Lord in our reading. Again, in chapter 1, the place of the presence of the Lord God is the temple. This is where God's people met with God. Chapter 1 in verse 26 and following in our reading, the place of the presence of the Lord God, and temple isn't mentioned in our verses, it's Mary's womb. The place of the presence of God is Mary herself. And later in chapter 2, in perfect obedience to the Lord God, Mary brings her son, she carries in her arms the Lord God into the temple. You see these two temples coming together in her arms. She comes to Simeon with her son for purification, for their purification in the temple. They're coming together. Lord, my eyes have seen your salvation, Simeon says. I've seen him. I've seen your salvation. The glory of your people Israel is here. And we pray this, your presence, your presence for all peoples. We pray this every night when we go to bed in our daily office. So in John's gospel, just a rehearsal from last week, in John's gospel, who is the temple? That's a good question to ask. Jesus is the temple. In John's Gospel, John chapter 2, right from the very beginning, John chapter 1 and John chapter 2, Jesus is the temple, and John says this explicitly. But also in John's Gospel, one day soon, Jesus will send the Spirit who proceeds from the Father to dwell where? 
in his disciples. So kind of like a mobile temple or a tabernacle. John chapter 14, little, little tabernacles of the presence of God. So which is it? Well, Paul says the same thing in 1 Corinthians. In chapter 6, he says, Do you not know, and he's talking to individual Christians here, that your body, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? So Paul seems to agree with John. And all of us, Paul says in another letter in Ephesians, are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So which is it? Is it the church that is the temple, all of us together, the gathering? Or is it the individual Christian? Is it Jesus himself? Or is it Mary? Here's my favorite answer. Yes. Yes, it's my, it's my favorite answer. The gospel is rich. There's many layers. And it's coming together here specifically in Luke's gospel that Jesus is the place of the presence of God. So it doesn't really matter in, in one sense who is fulfilling that. Jesus, our proximity to Jesus is the reality that is the temple or else the place of the presence of God. He will send his spirit to make his disciples the place of the presence of God. And Mary is the first Christ-bearer. She is the first disciple, and his disciples will be all together, gathered all together, the place of the presence of God by the Spirit. But here, here specifically in Luke chapter 1, Mary, she is the place of the presence of God. Gabriel doesn't meet Mary in the temple like she does the men on either side of this story. He comes to announce that she, she, her womb is the temple. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High God will overshadow you. This is temple language. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. The Son of God. So again, let me say it again. Yes, Jesus is the temple that will be rebuilt in three days. Yes, you are the temple because the Spirit of the living God is in you by faith and by baptism. Yes, we are a temple built up together by the Spirit, the place of the presence of God. And all of these yeses, hear this, all of these yeses are ours. They are our inheritance in Christ now because Mary said yes first. She said, yes, let it be to me according to your word. I'm willing. I'm willing. The Lord said to King David, I will raise up your offspring after you. He heard this in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house Hear this temple language. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom. How long? Forever. Forever. Solomon, the hope. They thought he was. They thought he was. But Solomon died, and so did his sons, and so did his sons' sons. A son of David will establish a forever kingdom. A son of David will build a temple, the place of the presence of God, where God's people can meet with him face to face. The virgin betrothed to Joseph, David's son, she is the favored one. 
She's the favored one because the Lord is with her. And more than that, more than that, the Lord Most High is not just with her. He, the Son of the Most High, is in her, is in her. And the angel said to Mary, Do not be afraid, Mary. Don't be afraid. For you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. You hear the language of Second Samuel. Zechariah, Elizabeth, John the Baptist, and now this morning, Gabriel and Joseph, and in different ways, Simeon, and climactically here in our text, a young, modest Jewish virgin who is greatly troubled. She's greatly troubled, yet, yet she has faith in God. She has faith in God. She says, yes, let it be. Let it be according to your word. She faithfully serves God in secret, not in public, but in secret, Mary. All of these characters are coming together, and every character, and this is so important as we pay attention to these major characters, but minor characters in the scheme of salvation, every character anticipates and points to the main character who is to come. They're not the point. They're not the point. Every, every theme, every theological emphasis, every, every item that is mentioned, it points to the main character as well. A barren womb conceives. Elizabeth, her womb conceives. A virgin womb conceives. A son of David will sit on the throne forever. The temple, the presence, the place of the presence of God, all of it, all of it is anticipating the character who is to come. So at this last moment, at this last moment of Advent, we're invited again to slow down. To slow down. It's not quite Christmas yet. We're not quite there. Very close. Slow down to anticipate, to long for, to pay attention, to sit on the edge of our seats with every character and every hope that they embody every longing, and every anticipation as we wait. Characters who are greatly troubled, the text says, who are afraid over and over again, who are barren, who are mute. This could describe many of us here this morning. We must consider the faith of every character this Advent season, every voice that anticipates and announce, announces the coming of the King who will proclaim good news to us. If we, don't, if we don't get this announcement right, this part of the story, all of the anticipations, we won't be reading the right birth announcement. We won't know who is to come. We'll go to a different baby shower, but it won't be this King. So we have to pay attention. We want to go to the right birth party. That's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to have a, we're, this is an invitation. This is all an invitation to come to a celebration tonight. Are you ready? Here, here's the invitation for us all. Are you ready to come for yourself? 
This is what the gospel writer is doing. This birth announcement, this once-for-all annunciation to Mary, it points to salvation Himself. To Mary's Son, Jesus, the Son of the Most High. Every one of these titles given to Him could be unpacked more and more. He is the Great One. He is the Great One, the Holy One of Israel. He is the Son of Adam, the Son of God. All of it is anticipating the coming of this king. So how can we apply this anticipation? And specifically as we're considering mostly this morning, Mary. This young Jewish girl from Podunk, Israel. How how do we enter in? Well, I'm going to follow St. Jerome. I said I was going to quote Jerome. He does something that I think is brilliant, and I'd I'd never seen it anywhere until I read his commentary on these verses, and he connects Luke chapter 1 with Luke chapter 24. So I just want to read his connection for you, and this is how the virgin, or else the presence of Mary here at the beginning of the story, can apply to you and to me this morning. Jerome said it like this in around 420 A.D. Holy Mary, blessed Mary, mother and virgin, virgin before giving birth, virgin after giving birth. Wow! I, for my part, Jerome says, marvel how a virgin is born of a virgin and how after the birth of a virgin, the mother is a virgin. Right? There's a lot of virgin language for you. Would you like to know how he is born of a virgin and after his nativity the mother is still a virgin? Do you want to know the answer to that question? Well, here's what Jerome says, and he goes to Luke chapter 24. The doors were closed and Jesus entered. The doors were closed and Jesus entered. There is no question about that. He who entered through the closed doors was neither a ghost nor a spirit. He was a real man with a real body. Furthermore, what does he say? Touch me. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. He had flesh and bones and the doors were closed. And the doors were closed. How do flesh and bones enter through closed doors? The doors are closed and he enters, whom we do not see entering. He comes in by the force of his godliness. Whence, whence has he entered? How has he entered? When has he entered? Everything is closed up. How is this miracle happening? There is no place through which he may enter. How does he get in? Nevertheless, He who has entered is within, and how he entered is not evident. You do not know how his entrance was accomplished, and you attribute it to the power of God. Attribute to the power of God, then, that he was born of a virgin, and the virgin herself, after bringing forth, was a virgin still. Christ can enter in to the closed, locked doors of our souls, Terrified after the resurrection with the disciples, he can enter in this morning. This is what the God of the virgin birth can do for us today. Gabriel came at the beginning of Luke's gospel announcing this gospel. 
And this announcement goes to the very last page, and it's the invitation for us this morning and every Sunday as we gather. After every word, even after the resurrected Jesus surprisingly came through a locked door, after all these words, after the testimony of his resurrection, after he goes through a locked door, his disciples still struggled to believe at the end of the gospel. Is that you this morning? That's okay. That's okay. God's power, his power can show up and he can break in. Don't be afraid, Jesus says to us, echoing Gabriel's voice. Don't be afraid, he says to his disciples, and he says to us, do you have anything to eat? Do you have anything to eat? Luke ends with this. He took bread and he blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. He showed up. We don't know exactly how he showed up, but the power of God was manifest, and he, he was there in their, in their midst. He was there. He was present with them. We don't know how, and his disciples worshiped him. They worshiped him because of this proclamation, because of this invitation to eat, and the text ends. Luke's gospel ends, and his disciples were continually in the temple blessing God. This is how we can come. We can come and we can hear this proclamation and this invitation in the mystery of the virgin birth, in the mystery of the locked door, and even here at the mystery of this table, we're invited to come and to experience the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All of it, all of it is an anticipation. All of it is not the point. It points us to the point. Jesus Christ, the King. So come and eat and worship this morning in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.